The savings rock when you find a new way to roll. Like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, commuter connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Levitt. I'm Tommy Vitor. On the pod today, we have the Democratic candidate for this special election in the 6th Congressional District of Georgia, John Ossoff. I'm very excited about that interview. Same. This is going to be great. He's also younger than us. How weird is that? He's, he's 30 years old. Oh, what the hell? Also, today is the, the deadline for registration <laughs> in the Georgia 6th. If you live in Georgia, and if you live in the 6th District, register today. We'll Tell say it many friends. more times. First, you're younger than the congressman. Then you're younger than the senators. Then you're younger than the president. And you're dead. I think you meant older, but great joke. Um, <laughs> we're gonna cut. No, no, keep it. I'm cutting it. All right, you don't have a good old. I can leave a pause. Tommy, who's on Pod Save the World this week? Uh, you know, I haven't decided yet. I'm talking to two people this week. <laughs> One is Gail Smith, who is the head of USAID. We're gonna talk about Sudan and what these draconian cuts would mean to their assistance budget. And then uh, Mark Lippert, former U.S. Yes. ambassador to Korea, huge friend of the pod. What the hell is going on over there? Both their political situation and North Korea's nuclear weapons. So it's and, all a little scary. Tommy, I will say, many people are talking about your Glenn Greenwald interview. Thank you. Many people are talking. Go glad, listen no, to it. It's great. I, I mean, I really appreciate him coming on. I want to have more people on like that who we don't agree with. And like, I'm, try, I'm working on it, people. We're I'm getting like emails from old professors about it. It's, it's just it's blowing up everywhere. Everyone go subscribe to Pod Save the World. Subscribe to Anna Marie Cox's podcast with friends like these. And subscribe for <laughs> Love It or Leave It, which first, debuts this Friday. First episode is this Friday. It's going to be it's going to be very exciting. You have to subscribe so it's waiting for you Saturday morning. Listen, we're already number 2 in the iTunes store, but as Hillary Clinton can tell you, number 2 isn't worth much. Did you overtake Barbaro? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got it. You got That's it. Funny. Uh yes, uh, I can see I can still I can basically make out Mike Barbaro uh, behind me uh, in the rear view, but yep. uh there's still some new serial podcast that's happening me and that's Lame. a behemoth. Lame. That's the, a behemoth to take down. Barbaro rec- replicated the sound of a flashbang on his podcast this morning. It really hurt my ears. I'm upset about it. Oh wow, okay. Um, moving on. But do subscribe to Love It or Leave It. It's going to be a very fun show. We're going to run great. through the week's news. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen to Listen two- to more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. More stuff and content in there like, yeah, like uh, you're a foie gras. <laughs> Become a member today. Go to cricket.com slash friends now to learn more. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. We have a lot to talk about today. What a day. We have to get to healthcare. We have to get to Trump's diplomacy. 
But first, we should talk about Russia. Uh, so, woke up this morning, Trump went on like a tweet storm about Russia, just to set up this hearing today. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> Trump it was, started, I thought that they were pretty boring. I, yes. I think it's like, it feels like really recycled material from Trump on his tweets. It's like, fake news, blah, 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 Russia, I didn't do it, it was the one-armed man, his blah, heart, blah, blah. His heart is not in it anymore. <laughs> he's six weeks into this job, and he's bored out of his mind. <laughs> but he, he must have woke up and seen that there's this hearing today, and so he decided to like rehash all of his famous... It's also like, once you've accused... Uh, your predecessor of wiretapping you, it's hard to like go for a bigger shock factor there. Right. Like, like, is it like, like fake tear Schumer's in my backyard with a golf club? Right. It's, like, like, <laughs> it's like late, it's like late, it's like late season Sopranos. Like, they're running out of ways to kill people. That makes news. Um, it's like, oh, maybe we'll run his head over at a gas station. You know, that's how we, that's where it ends. <laughs> so, Trump tweets a bunch of shit this morning, and then we have the hearing. Outside of the hearing is probably the biggest news. We get the FBI director, James Comey, confirms that the FBI is investigating whether the president's campaign colluded with a foreign adversary to help him win the election. Seems significant. Seems newsy. Seems newsy, yeah. Um, (laughs) The other big news is is the quote of the day, which was, I have no information that supports those tweets. (laughs) The FBI director about the president of the United States. That sentence, with respect to the president's tweets. (laughs) With respect to the tweets. I have no information to support those tweets. So yes, uh, Comey debunked Comey becomes the 50 millionth person to debunk the claim about that Obama wiretapped Trump. So it's now the FBI director, the DOJ. He also, Comey said, I, I've been told this by the DOJ too. So the DOJ allowed him to say that they were, first of all, he was investigating the Trump Russia connections. Which is more important because the rest of it, like just debunking Trump's nonsense is like. Right. Ugh, it's Although it's done. like the now we have the FBI, the DOJ, the former DNI, <laughs> Clapper, both intel committees, both parties. There is even Fox News this weekend. There's just said no that there left. was no there was no reporting. There's that no could one do that. left who could yeah. be doing the wiretapping. It's, Anyone who could have been involved has said they weren't a part of the it. The only people who believe this are Donald Trump and Sean Spicer now. Right. <laughs> people who are I, saying. I this. almost said poor Sean Spicer. I but, almost said it. And, 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 and we, I want to dig into this for a second because um, there over there was a big dust up recently, and we're going to talk about this later. Well, do you want to talk about this later or now? What we, is we it? The, the, the Judge Napolitano thing. Do it now. Okay. So, do it now. Sean Spicer created <laughs> Sean Spicer created an international incident with our closest ally, the UK, by accusing oh, right. GCHQ, their intelligency, of spying on the US president. They loudly denied it. Apparently, the White House apologized, but then they denied apologizing, right? So, we have this giant <laughs> shitstorm with the US and our closest ally. I just want to talk about how this happened for a second, okay? Sure. Judge Napolitano. The giant Eddie Munster that's on Fox News is a senior legal analyst for them. He likes to be called the judge because he was a superior court judge in Jersey at some point along the way and left to make some cash. Okay, uh, I was wondering why he was judge. Yeah, like a court judge. He was a judge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, divorce court. He apparently saw a news report on RT, the Russian propaganda network, alleging that Obama <laughs> had used GCHQ to target Trump for surveillance to, and to get around all these legal issues. Right, that report was from a guy named Larry Johnson, who was in the CIA about thirty years ago and is best known now for fabricating a smear that there was a tape of Michelle Obama calling someone whitey in like 2006 or 7 or Still something waiting like on that. that tape. Love it was so, love, <laughs> love it was waiting on that tape as a member of Hillary Clinton's primary campaign. <laughs> we're all laughing because we lived through this fucking nightmare, yeah. excuse my language. But it was the rumors circulated on the internet for years. The Clinton campaign thought it was real. Reporters thought it was real. Fox News reported on it constantly. Here's a, a quote from well-known piece of shit Roger Stone. At least seven news organizations have contacted me, wanting to know how to get their hands on this tape, giving me more information than I've had after I've spoken to each of them, Stone said on Fox News. Like, this is fake news, guys, okay? <laughs> Donald Trump is the world's biggest source of fake news, and he's been peddling it for years from the same sources. And you know what happens to these sources? Halpern and Heilman take them out to caviar and put them on the circus. What? Right? What's going on? What's I'm very upset morning? about this. These, there's no cost for making up smears about people anymore. Tommy, there's if you're not. like this, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm sorry about this reversal. I'll talk about Sudan later today. No, Tommy, I, I get what you're saying. No, because it's like, it. I thought about this too, that when Comey did this this morning and finally put a button on this whole wiretapping thing. Like, so what, we're all going to we're all going to fucking move on now. The President of the United States just made this up, lied. Well, and now it wasn't just like a little campaign thing. It's not just now having implications for him governing the United States. Now it's like a global fuck up. You've got like like Merkel's dealing with it. The Brits are dealing right. with it. Well, so the, so and this, this stupid man, this stupid silly the, man is President of the United States. At the hearing this morning. We're not fans. We're not fans. He hasn't won us, he hasn't won us morning, over. We've given him a chance. Mike Rogers, uh, who's now the head of... NSA uh, was asked about this 
And he just reiterated the British position, which is how absurd it is. He actually was pretty full-throated about it, which is great. The thing that is so shocking about watching this hearing, to bring it back to the hearing that's still kind of wrapping up, but we've reached the point of it where it's just Democrats and Republicans giving boring speeches for absolutely no reason. And who thinks these people should get up there and just give speeches? You got Comey sitting there. Ask him a couple questions. Ask him a question. Anyway. He, can't, he, he, won't, he won't answer anything. He won't answer anything. So I guess it's all for nothing. But <laughs> the beginning, you have, you have Comey saying, we are investigating the Trump campaign. You have Comey saying the president lied to the world mm. about what the previous administration was doing. And people like Trey Gowdy and Nunez get up there and be like, actually, I have a question about uh, <laughs> about how that information uh, came to light. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like Nunez, the cat. Nunez the cat- actually <laughs> asked him at one point, would you investigate the Clinton campaigns and the Clinton Foundation's connection to Russia? Which is basically just reading back Trump's crazy tweet from this morning. Like, it's, um, Nunez and Gowdy are just, that, that was pretty pathetic. I mean, you're supposed to be like, you're an intel committee. It's member. so shocking. Like you're supposed you know, we're, to be a little more we have been intelligent. Living, we've yeah. been, it's just like each time, it's so hard to, to I, I'm mad at myself every time I'm surprised, but it's like, I, even I am surprised by how like captured someone like Gowdy is. It's like, not only are you going to carry water for the administration and try to make this hearing about leaks, which is so transparent and pathetic, and not only are you going to do that, you're going to start threatening the intelligence community with reauthorization you know of vital the... programs because of leaks. It is so, it's incredible. You it know is what? incredible. You know These people aren't captured. These people were doing this bullshit before Donald Trump was ever president. But they're doing they it for fucking, Trump now. You know, but like, thinking about like Trey Gowdy and how he ran the Benghazi investigation, he's like going on about leaks today. How many fucking times did his committee leak things during the uh, Benghazi investigation? Existed. Including the uh, uh, identity yeah. of a CIA agent, right? <laughs> Uh, or what do they? No, what do they leak around? No, that was our buddy uh, Jason Chavitz. Like, oh, right. Stupidly was like, I was told I wasn't talk about that Google Earth image here on the hearing. Right, right. So right. Dana Milbank ripped on him I, to steal a new a phrase that I love from my new friend Glenn Greenwald. This is the adult <laughs> partisan brain going to work. Right. It's like the the hypocrisy here on leaks on sensitive sources and methods, all these things, it's just, it's astounding. Like, everybody who attacked Barack Obama for allegedly, re- for removing the Churchill bus, because God forbid he wanted Martin Luther King in the Oval Office, right, now doesn't have a word to say about GCHQ lighting us on fire in response to accusing them to wiretapping President Obama or President Trump. I mean, the whole thing is just, it's absurd beyond belief, and this is why everybody hates Washington. Yeah. So, before we move off the hearing today, <clears throat> just because I think a lot of people probably watched that and said, okay, Holy shit, the FBI is investigating possible connections between the Trump campaign and Russia. Uh, they just confirmed it. So, like, now what happens, right? <laughs> like, what, what, James Comey just drops this bomb. So he says he's been doing Someone asked him, like, how long this is going to take. He said he's been doing this. They've been investigating since July. He said that's a fairly short time frame so far for a counterintelligence mm-hmm. investigation. Just, can we just pause for a moment and just reflect on the Comey letter that he was of doing course. this from July? I mean, it's like there's nothing to be done about it. He was investigating this in July. July. There was a headline in the New York Times that said, FBI sees no link between Trump campaign and Russia. And then in late October, he did release a letter saying, by the way, we are possibly opening the investigation or continuing the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, A week later, it was just kidding. Then she loses the election. Oh, by the way, the whole time there was an investigation between Trump and Russia. So what the hell? What the hell? But just like to to put... (laughs) It's nothing to do about that. It's just annoying. The hard things about these investigations, and I I thought the the special agent who was in charge of the Snowden, that sort of handling the fallout of the Snowden disclosures made this point is that, you know, if there's a smoking gun out there, it's going to take a long time to find it because this is not like a, a process mm. where you impanel a journey and you look at evidence. Like you, we're waiting for a source to turn or some sort of counterintelligence investigation. So who knows when it's going to happen? It's not going to be on Congress's timeline. It's not going to be on our timeline. And it's going to be hard. But like what we know is there's a lot of weird smoke here. So these guys should just keep investigating. But th- there's not going to be like, I don't think some big explosive result that's going to satisfy anybody right and we should the uh, reason i want to say this is because like we are all very impatient we live in an age of fucking tweets and 24-hour news and if everyone like by next week we're not going to get answers uh, it's very likely we're not going to get answers into this so i do not think that we can all hold our breath and make this like this can't be the news every day this can't be what we push every day because be this investigation is going to go on its own and it's and it's not very respondent to public pressure because the fbi moves on its own timeline and you right. know, it, and it doesn't it's it's not trying to think about politics or media deadlines. And also basically. just where we're at right now. I mean, Comey's testifying publicly today, but even over the weekend, you had a, dis- a partisan disagreement of even 
what they know so far, right? You have right. Right, you have Schiff saying that there's Schiff said Schiff said on Meet the Press um, he sees circumstantial evidence of collusion between Trump campaign and Russia, uh, but he said there's direct evidence I think of deception, and that's where we begin the investigation, which I thought was a good yeah. way to characterize. And he's that. right. I mean, that's what happens at all these investigations. If you lie to these investigators, that is your big problem. Come right. clean, people. That's their that's their way. Of Come clean, but the, the other thing that Comey did today, I think, pretty uh, clearly was. A lot of these Republicans that uh, on the Intel committees have been carrying water for the Trump campaign said, hey, there's no evidence. We're seeing no evidence of any collusion. They've said there's no evidence. Clapper said there was no evidence. Spicer's been yelling like, oh, you guys say that there's no evidence about the wiretapping claim, but when everyone says that there's no evidence about collusion, no one reports that. Well, that's because Comey today basically did not say there's no evidence between collusion. <laughs> it's an ongoing In fact, process. it's an ongoing investigation. That's the thing about investigations. You learn more when you investigate so things. So all the it's Republican funny. talking points that everyone has seen no evidence about any collusion are wrong. We don't know if there is evidence. That's why it's an ongoing investigation. Well, right. The and absence and of evidence is not evidence of absence. Right. And Reince uh, could have violated his own White House's rules by calling over the FBI and saying, hey, what can I say about this? Like, yeah. You're not supposed to do these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politics out well, of now, these processes. now we also know why the FBI didn't knock down stories saying that there was possible contacts between Russia, <laughs> Trump and the, Russia, and the Russians. I, know, okay. I, think, I think Mike Huckabee's uh, daughter, the spokesman at the Deputy Press Secretary, knows what she's saying and we're... We should just take her word for it. That's true. Um, okay. I did not know they were related. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I forgot Weird. her name. I was blanking. <laughs> um, okay. Let's move on to uh, Trump's diplomacy. Um, <laughs> our diplomatic blunders of the last week. By the way, did you know that this is the week that Trump's going to put some points on the board? That's what Axios said this morning. <laughs> That's the headline in Axios. I didn't, I didn't catch that. This is the we, week he's putting Trump. He's putting points on the I, board. I, like I like Mike Allen so much. Me too. And I have for a year. But like we need like an Axios of Evil segment because that <laughs> thing is the worst thing I read every day. I'm sorry, guys. Stop it. Uh, yeah. I just, well, look, it's it's predicated on uh, having a lot of access to the Trump administration, right? And so that's what it is. It's like here's our sources. Here's what we know for the Trump administration. And if but, so, if you want to know that, that's what you do. And, and, but just but, stop but that's dismissing the, things that are right. critical of them. So the slant of it is all maybe it's okay for the Trump administration. So the Trump administration reads it and then talks more to them. That's that's their model. We don't have that model here. <laughs> we, we, hate, we everyone hates on beyond that model. That's not, not happening for us. Of that model. I mean, I would if there were a Democrat in the White House. Look, if we had the ability to create that model, we we, we would do it. So, oh, wait, no, what? <laughs> that was obviously a joke. <laughs> okay, good, good. All right, anyway, so diplomatic blunders from last week. Tell me, you already started talking about and explained what happened with the um, Spicer in the White House's refusal to apologize to the Brits over the spying claims. Um, Merkel comes to the White House. This sort of comes to a head when Merkel comes to the White House. First of all, she sits with Trump in the Oval, and there's a whole handshake incident. Do you want to describe that? Uh, I mean, like. Putin famously brought his dog into a meeting to scare Angela Merkel because she was attacked by a dog. It didn't really? get quite to that Wait, level. What but a story. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it was a big black lab, but like you see the photos and she's terrified. And she criticized him later for doing it. It's like, this is how he proves he's a man. Um, I want to be wary of reading too much into body language because this drove me insane when people overread it to this when I was a spokesman at the White House. But like when Obama bowed a lot in apology, right? But like the the problem with being a narcissist. Remember what used to be a scandal, right? <laughs> right. The problem with being a narcissist is when you think you're the only person in the room that matters, but you're meeting with a foreign leader in the Oval Office, and you won't look at them or smile at them or shake their hand when they say, "Hey, do you want to shake hands?" It looks bad, and it looks like our relations with Germany are even more strained, which they are already because of his rhetoric. Yeah. He's also telling them they owe us money for NATO. Well, that was actually yeah. not. Well, of course, of course. Not I kind of want of that co- NATO money. But that's not. But you know, <laughs> that's not how it works. You know, yeah, it's not how it works. I don't care. <laughs> NATO doesn't pay us dues. NATO countries are I, supposed to pay a certain percentage of GDP for defense responsibilities. We yeah. explain things here. We explain things to I the people that. who listen, not just to you. I'm not, I'm not trying to stop you. I don't know why you're looking at me like that. Because you're talking. You know, sometimes people think that you don't like me. <laughs> sometimes people think you make everything about you on the, on the conversation. Maybe I wonder why people think anyway, people don't like me. Anyway, back to narcissists. <laughs> I don't know. Love it interrupted me. I forgot where I was. Um, the NATO thing. Oh, so no, the, it's, it's ridiculous. Like he's tweeting that that he's a, a saying in his tweets that they owe us money for defense capabilities, and they don't owe us anything. They need to. Th- there's a very reasonable critique to say European countries need to pay more for collective defense. Yeah. Period. The Great, other t- the other classic Trump sounds thing, like though, that's the point he's making about this NATO bastard business is that uh, he tweeted it all after she left. Right. Well, that's he's his so, favorite thing. To he's do. so weak. And he he can't he can't bring himself to like say anything tough to leaders when he's with them. This is the same thing happened I'm with the Mexican to do the president. F- it's a it's a podcast, but I'm doing the Trump face, the kind of shitting 
that that kind of shit eating grin he does. You maybe can hear my body language, just kind of doing the face, and it's yeah. like so obviously he could hear her. Can you can you hear his body language doing the face? I think they can. Um, okay, I, I think they was, can. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> so um, anyway, so he then he so, so there's the Oval Office incident with the handshake or lack of handshake. Then they go do the uh, the press conference, and Trump just sort of throws out there like, well, you know. She uh, she knows what it's like to be wiretapped by Obama. I guess I guess that's why we have a this we have that in common. And the look on Merkel's so, face, just uh, go go Google it if you haven't. I seen really want to break this down because it was um, it was extraordinary. First of all, it is so rare to see a true, unself conscious double take in the wild, let alone by one of the one of by, by a head of state. She first glances over and then she can't believe it. Then she looks and forward like, again. Is the translation in my ear? And then she comes back at him. <laughs> and then she comes back at him and she goes full smirk. It was a real, it was a one, no, yes. <laughs> it was It was fantastic. And you know, the only other person who can go further than that is Patrick Stewart, who's a, who's a, who's a, a classically trained actor who can go up to, I believe, a quadruple take. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing is like, clearly he prepared this line. Clearly he thought it was funny because he gave a little comedic pause to let it land. And then the 15 former golf caddy goons in the back are like, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, it is a funny joke. (laughs) But yeah, it is funny to us, but like not to her because the fact the United States was wiretapping her phone blew up relations between the U.S. and Germany for months and months and months. Yeah, I'm not saying saying you should flag it. I know, I know. I'm just being the (laughs) overly serious guy. We're playing to type here. And like, but just the the tale of the tape here of the Obama Merkel relationship was like, that did not start in the best place, right? Remember back in the day, Mm. they were at odds over the response to the financial crisis, whether we should do more stimulus versus austerity. It was like a huge thing. The fact that the NSA was spying on her, understandably, was a problem given their history with surveillance. But over time, like that became an incredibly important working relationship and one that we need to get things done all across the world, the United Nations, bilaterally, whatever it might be. And bit by bit, he's chipping away and eroding support from the people in these countries and the relationship with the leaders. And it's a huge, it's going to hurt our country. We were saying this on the way over here, but it was just such an amazing moment because we're so used to like, I can't believe we're living through this right now, dealing with this in the United States with Trump. But you realize it's a global, I can't believe we're living through this right now. Like Merkel's looking, giving that look um, like the Brits when they're accused of spying on Obama by crazy conspiracy theories. Like it is a whole, the, the entire world is just like, what the fuck? How did we get here? It's like what is happening? it's like you can see Merkel like calling Trudeau and like having a kind of like I'm sure they are like, like being like can, can you, you believe it? Believe what this? was your like? It was and it, and it and it just feels bad that like we're we're not part of that conversation because we're the problem. What do you think they talk about? It's like, <laughs> did, um, you, did you see the long reads? That's what I'm saying about the relationship. I, I was like, I couldn't fucking believe it. Did I was you sitting there with him? And it was like he turned to me and he said he was wiretapping me, dude. It was fucking nuts, dude. When I was down there, and, and Trudeau, Trudeau's like, I tried to invite him to a play, and they only sent Ivanka. I was listening to NPRs. I, yeah. the story. I, I honestly think it's because he can't sit through a play. I think he can't possibly pay, pay attention. I don't think he's ever been to a play. Apparently, he had to go to Tennessee and like tell people he was taking away their health care, but like not. Um, <laughs> Are we talking uh, to ourselves? Or it was, um, no, I'm not sure. I, anyway. One more thing before we leave this. What um, there's a segment I like to call "What the fuck's going on with Rex Tillerson." <laughs> But the Bob Gates recommendation of Rex Tillerson for uh, for Secretary of State, it's just loved by the global elitist set, loved by the Davos set. Rex Tillerson, yeah, Davos set. He's he's going to he went to Korea. He went to Asia for the first time. He is in making these big pronouncements about our policy with respect to North Korea, essentially ruling out future negotiations and talking about potentially preemptive strikes, sort of hinting at all these big things. But he's not bringing a press pool. He's letting one reporter from the IJR, which is. Barely, uh, barely new outlet. Well, We're like, going to hear from them. Yep, it's like a crooked media style outlet. Yeah, exactly. That's right. They are. They are the right. Imagine, if, media. Still, imagine if the Secretary of State only brought love. It. Yeah, exactly. There you honestly, go. honestly, first of all, I've said it once. I said it a thousand times. A journalism is easy. B, I do a fantastic job. <laughs> exactly. But there's this is the problem. There's no pool reports coming out. She did one Q and A, like eventually. But the guy was was canceling meetings and never went to meet with embassy staff in Tokyo. He, he was said he was fatigued because he was fatigued. And like, if that's true. Hillary Clinton told us that you probably want to have like a real time explanation of what's going on there, uh, and not yeah. just let dribble out from foreign counterparts. It's a uh, and also like not a lot of leadership. It's uh, Tillerson said, uh, you know, he's not a big fan of the press. He's not. He's like he's just not. He's like I don't need. No, he said I don't need it. I'm not. I don't really need a lot of media access. Um, <laughs> like, <it's>, <laughs> not how it works. Ike Barinholtz had a really funny line about this on Twitter, which was. Um, 
Uh, Who? Uh, Ike Barinholtz. Oh, Ike Barinholtz. Said, uh, uh, Fahrenheit, I'm like, <laughs> you don't get to be. You, you don't get to be press shy. You're the you're the Secretary of State. You're not Terrence Malick. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. Un- and by the way, it's like. Uh, yeah, no. Nobody wants to talk to reporters. I, That's why they're reporters. I know. And, and lucky for us that like Andrew <laughs> and Mitchell, a, there's a reporter in the room. <laughs> yeah, lucky for us, Andrew Mitchell is like the hardest working person in show business, right? And she's like f- catching a Southwest flight to Seoul, like doing whatever she can to chase this guy around the globe. But it doesn't have to be that way. You just slap <laughs> him on the plane, <laughs> brief them about what we're doing, and then you hey, go from there. How's your job covering state? I have to chase the secretary around the globe. It's he not will, great. Getting come. those miles though. <laughs> Andrew Mitchell's getting those free upgrades. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. This is Pod Save America, and there's more on the way. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Beyonce, Katanji Brown-Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Diplomacy is going really well. What's happening here at home? Uh, Nothing good. Paul Ryan seems to be on a mission to piss off every Republican or uh, Democrat or independent who voted for Donald Trump, <laughs> at least most of them, uh, because Ryan's politics are now bumping up against uh, what Trump's voters w- want, both on the budget. Um, and not, I shouldn't just say Paul Ryan, because Donald Trump hired a lot of Paul Ryan type Republicans mm-hmm. to run his government. Right. So Mick Mulvaney, his OMB director, Tom Price. Mulvaney his HHS. sounds I mean, when Mulvaney talks, he sounds like a Paul Ryan acolyte. He really does. All mm-hmm. the all his ideological stuff coming through. Well, and, Mike, and Mike Pence, too. Right? right. So all of these Republicans that are in the administration, uh, along with Paul Ryan and his his goons in Congress, uh, came up with this. Well, at least the White House did came up with this budget that is like the craziest budget <laughs> we've seen in a long time in like slashing domestic priorities by like 30, 40, 50 percent at times. Um, and so you have that happening where like the whole meals on like, you know, they're trying to cut meals on wheels. They're like cutting the EPA. They're cutting the NIH, the National Institute of Health, by six billion dollars. They're like ending clean energy research. They're ending research on climate change programs. I mean, they are just it is going really deep. And they're also hurting like a lot of poor people and a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump this budget would. So a lot of people in Congress, a lot of Republicans in Congress even are saying this budget's dead on arrival. Um, Paul Ryan, of course, has said, like, great, we'll see what happens. Um, So that's number one. And then number two, the health care bill is, like, unbelievably unpopular, we're finding, among a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump because they're realizing that they're going to lose their ability to afford health insurance. What's happening right now with this health care bill is fascinating. So it's Justin M. Ash. Uh, tweeted that it's like the single most unpopular thing he's like ever seen. He, Republican, Republican member of Congress. Yes, Justin Republican Amish. member of Congress talking yeah. about how unpopular it is amongst Republicans. And now they're sort of Paul Ryan is saying, "Oh, we're still going to vote on Thursday, but I'm going to make a bunch of changes behind closed doors to make it more palatable to people." And first of all, it's inconceivable to me what those changes could be that are not fundamental to the bill he's already announced that could make this thing pass. So what, basically, what he's hinted at is to appease the conservatives in the House Freedom Caucus who don't like the bill. Uh, they think they're going to add work requirements to Medicaid. So if you get Medicaid, you have to work, even though like only about 19% of people who receive Medicaid are able-bodied adults who are not working. Um, so that's number. That's to get the Freedom Caucus. It's not clear that that's enough to get the Freedom Caucus, I which don't is see how crazy. It could be. I, I, sincerely, like, I, I, like forget, forget the. Po- 
on policy grounds, I don't understand how that's enough to get the Freedom Caucus, because what still continues to be so shocking about this bill is it's it really is like a bastardized, shitty version of Obamacare. So, like, how could you possibly get these guys? This thing looks too much like what it's replacing. It just makes everything worse. But then you see, you know, there's that congressman from Alabama on Friday who's like, I met with Donald Trump. I said that this bill is going to hurt the people who voted for him, the people in my district. He said, don't worry, I'll never let those people down. I'll fix it later. That's enough for me. I'm for it. <laughs> so you can't underestimate. You can never underestimate how stupid Republican politicians are, and you can never underestimate how cowardly Republican politicians are. Right. So if I were betting on like who's going to stop this bill from leaving the House, there's going to be some Freedom House Freedom Caucus members who say, "Absolutely not. I'm never going to vote for this bill." There's going to be a lot, I bet, who fold at the last minute. And then the question is these moderates, right? Now, to appease the moderates, it looks like Ryan said on Fox on Sunday that they may make the tax credits for seniors a little bit more generous and maybe some other tax credits a little more generous. So back what you were saying, Lebanon, it is a shittier version of Obamacare because basically it takes away most of the financial assistance that was in Obamacare but keeps the structure of the bill. So Paul Ryan, to get these people back, might just slowly and up wait, some of the tax credits. just pause for a second to remind everyone that Paul Ryan said he's been dreaming about cutting Medicaid since he and Rich Lowry of the National Review were pounding beers out of kegs. Out of kegs. That is what they dreamed but, about but, in but, college. First of all, yeah, let's just talk that's about just that. So I want, I know, that's I don't, a pretty I don't lame move, No, I don't want to move off. The, 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 it's important not to move off. I, I want to finish on the incentives first because going in. Oh, no, we're going to get one of these. The no, 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 again. we're not. We're not. We are. I don't know what you're. T- what, you don't Go even ahead. know what I'm going to say. So Paul Ryan saying we're going to go in and increase slightly the subsidies for seniors is such bullshit because keep in mind all he's doing. So on the regulatory side, he's telling the insurance companies, you can charge old people whatever you want, Mm -hmm. right? So much that they won't be able to afford insurance. And then he's going to come back in on the subsidy side and slightly increase the subsidy for seniors. So he's still screwing seniors, but still kind of completing his promise he made to the insurers, which is to make insurance more expensive for everybody. And it's it's appalling. It is. This is a this bill really. You know, Nancy Andaparl said it on the show. It is a Frankenstein's monster, and and there's just there is no way to tweak it. Like any Republican saying that is being intellectually honest. There is no way to tweak this bill to save. Well, it. and what you're what he's thinking about is if he knows that if he goes on Fox and says, "Oh, I might help seniors a little bit more," Fox and all the conservative outlets will run with the headline like Ryan to help seniors more. Well, you which know? really and means that's all that, he wants. He always like, wants that headline. Like you said, the fact of the matter is it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything. No. But he wants the headline because he's you know and because also he's going to so he's going to bring this to the floor for a vote on it's it gets voted out of committee Wednesday and then it goes to the floor of the House on Thursday for a vote. There will be no time to get another CBO score of the any revised bill by then. So they will be voting on a health care bill that they do not exactly know what it does. And 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 unless they fundamentally change this bill unless they pull it back and rewrite it what tommy said is true and the senior thing is true these are the two most dangerous things in this bill it will it will slowly make it impossible it will, it will slowly uh, reduce accessibility to medicaid which will hurt a lot of people and and the senior part of this is so dangerous because it will make seniors have to take like play russian roulette with their lives five years before they're eligible to medicare which just means some percentage of them are going to get cancer some percentage of them are going to have accidents they will be destitute before they get to medicare it is frustrating about this is medicaid is a very efficient health insurance provider it works pretty well and it covers kids and adults at a lower per capita cost than private insurance and so it's it's unlikely that his caps can be implemented without cutting the the care and so Pelosi way back in the day said we had to pass a bill for people to understand what's in it. And she got destroyed for that because it was sort of like seen as a as a showed how secretive the process was. Right. She was right. You know, and I really, really worry that we're going to have to repeal parts of this and bill the, for people to understand too, what's being done to them. The Medicaid piece of this is so frustrating because they all rail about how Medicaid doesn't work. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Medicaid's not perfect. But you know what would help? Making the making the reimbursements more generous. The reason it doesn't work as well as, say, Medicare, although people on Medicaid do really like it, is that it's not generous enough. And so their solution is to cut it. It's crazy. Yeah. Here, you know, here's, I mean, they're, what they're running up against into is the truth is, and we've been saying this a lot. Republicans believe that the federal government doesn't have a role in making health insurance more affordable for people or providing health insurance to people, right? They just, that's what they believe. And yet they now have a voting base that elected Donald Trump that desperately want the, the government to do something to help them afford health care, whether, whether it's the government or they want the insurance company to make health care cheaper. They just want cheaper health care and they want good health care. Right. And so they are bumping up against this. And Jonathan Martin, the New York Times, did a really good story. GOP's health care tightrope winds through the uh, blue collar Midwest. And it's about all these people. And it also has a good fact in there, which is like the percentage of Republicans who believe that the government should do something to make health insurance more affordable has risen, like doubled in the last couple months since the election. Right. 
right? So they are they have this problem with their base. So the larger question here is, and this goes to um, the stupid Paul Ryan comment that Tommy brought up about uh, dreaming of Medicaid cuts since he was drinking out of a keg with Rich Lowry. What is an like awful what a party frat party that so was. So what what happened? <laughs> what happened here to like the Trump Bannon economic populism? Like was it bullshit from the beginning or? Is Paul Ryan just playing these fucking people because they're stupid? I, you, like, know, you know what I'm saying? Like something's I saw going. That. Like because you 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 could see a scenario where Trump is nativist and tough on immigration and does all the shit on national security and civil liberties that scares us, right? But then on economic stuff, tries to you know keep this working class base with him by not having a budget that cuts all social services, by making sure that people can afford their health care, right? And that actually fundamentally changes right. the Republican Party. It doesn't seem like he's doing that at all. That's what it's really. You, it's like it's like is Paul Ryan gaming them? Are they gaming Paul Ryan? It, there, there was a version of Trump that could have existed, given that Trump has no ideology, where he really does kind of create a new coalition, right? He's he he puts out a kind of health care plan that pulls off some Republicans in his past, mostly with Democratic votes. Like there Passes was an infrastructure bill, right? Like there was a world where that's possible, but for whatever reason, I mean, the policy front is being ri- run just like pure Paul Ryan ideology. It's 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 surprising. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I worry that there's like an even more cynical version of this, which is the the populism is rhetorical and it's issues that have That's, nothing to do with right. your economic, right? It's like you have all these people like watching uh, Oscar's speeches and tweeting, this is why Trump won. And none of those people are speaking up when the people who voted for Trump, who are literally the reason he won, are, are getting cuts because they think that they can still reach those people by saying blue lives matter or attacking gays or like a lot of the cultural things that Trump exploited to great effect during yeah, the election. It's funny. It's well, weird. it does make me think like this. I, f- I mean, first of all, I, we should have started this whole segment by saying uh, Gallup this weekend has Trump at 37% approval. Uh, Obama's all time low was 38%. It's devastating. And uh, that was when we were like gushing oil, right? right. I mean, Bush, literally. Bush, Bush didn't hit this number until like second term. Um, so it's it's very. Now, look, Gallup goes up and down. You, we can't yeah, yeah, go yeah, pulse. Yeah. But anyway, he is very, very unpopular. That means he has lost. He's probably lost the support of some of his voters. And I don't think it's a coincidence this is happening around the healthcare stuff because back to we always bring up the Kellyanne Conway line right like it's not about what offended people it's about what affected people his voters right now are realizing that this healthcare bill and then this budget could affect their lives yeah. and i think that this is this is the message back to pelosi this is the message we need to run on this is the message Definitely. we need to be talking I, about every I think day that's right i mean it's funny it sort of it goes to the bernie sanders case ultimately yeah, which is totally. like don't forget that this is about economics this is about real people and what affects their actual day-to-day pocketbook issues and like it's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to get too clever by half. But, like, let's come back to it. Yeah. And also, so people might be asking, like, what do I do? What, you know, so in the House, again, we need 22 defections. On Thursday, 538 ran a story. They counted, like, 16 people, Republicans, who said, like, probably not or, or expressed grave reservations about the bill. And there's about, like, 50 more possibilities, right, that really haven't said anything. So Indivisible, we've talked about Indivisible before. Go to their website. They have some uh, great documents, talking points, scripts, uh, information you can use to call your member of Congress. They are also planning a... Um, uh, a Friday district office visit to hold your members of Congress accountable after the vote on Thursday. So if they voted the right way, it's important to offer positive reinforcement. And if they voted the wrong way, you should know that the House vote isn't the end of it and you should really make some noise, right? So like, It's like training a dog. <laughs> it's like it's like, <laughs> shake the shake the can of nails. No, there's also no. There was also a great uh, document, a Google Doc put out by um, Topher Spiro at uh, Center for American Progress this weekend, and we we all tweeted that here, which actually has some of the most moderate Republican members of the Congress or the members who are most in vulnerable districts, and gives you information on how to call them, tweet them, um, get them going. Yeah, so very useful stuff. And we should say this is working. Over the weekend, Brian Fitzpatrick of the Pennsylvania Eighth. And John Katko of uh, New York uh, both announced that they're not; they're voting no, and they were two members on this list that uh, Tover had put out on Friday. So we're getting yeah. there. I, I think, like we we've always been honest that this is an uphill slog, and that when yeah. you lose almost every part of government, it's going to be very hard to fight for your agenda. But given how bad this bill is, given the mood music around Donald Trump and yeah. how he is becoming toxic to the vast majority of Americans, like now is the time to pressure members of Congress. They see re-election coming faster than we do. Right. We got four days to the vote. I would make as much noise as possible. I would keep this in the headlines any way you can. I would call your member of Congress. If you if you live in a blue district, call your friends who live in red districts. Get them yeah, to call. It's, it's right? um, you know, 
I think that there's some argument that they think they can just get this issue off their plate, Definitely. just pass this and just get it to the Senate and stop. You can tell with Trump it. wants that's so, right? Yeah, Trump's like, I got to get to tax room. I got to get to tax cuts for millionaires. So they wanted to die in the Senate <laughs> so they can blame Democrats. It's not a foregone conclusion that this bill will pass. Paul, this will not. It is. It is quite possible that this bill passes. It really could. But this wouldn't be the first time that a Republican Speaker of the House brings an unpopular bill to the floor that he tries to kind of get his members to go for, and they don't, and they have to withdraw it. It's, and I'd love it's to see really them all vote possible. On it. Yeah. Make them vote. Let's see it. Let's see it. Okay. When we come back, we will have the uh, Democratic candidate in the Georgia 6th, John Ossoff. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Hi, I'm Aaron Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show, Hysteria, is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. On the pod today, we have the Democratic candidate for the 6th Congressional District in Georgia, John Ossoff. John, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Excellent. So Trump won your district by just 1%. So that's the good news. But of course, Tom Price won re-election by 23%. So what have you been saying to those Clinton-Price voters in your district? And and actually, what are you hearing from them? Well, I think it's a pragmatic, moderate district uh, that's uh, looking for effective representation more than ideological or partisan representation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm reaching out and... Um, offering uh, my service as someone who will be responsive, open-minded, humble, uh, respectful, and provide great constituent service, uh, help grow Metro Atlanta's economy. And even if we don't agree on all the issues, I think folks are looking for someone who brings some fresh leadership and a fresh perspective rather than more um, partisan nonsense. John, you are, uh, this time of tour, you are, you are new to the scene, you are younger than all of us, which pisses all of us off more than you know, <laughs> um, but I, I want to make sure people understand you, why you decided to run, and, and sort of a bit about your background. One thing that was particularly interesting to me is you did a lot of work to raise awareness about human trafficking, um, especially women who've been captured by ISIS. I was wondering if you could talk about that work, and if that's something you think you'll continue in Congress. Sure. Well, I had worked as a congressional aide uh, for Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia, uh, specializing in defense and national security issues and then left Washington in 2012, uh, got a master's degree, and since then I've run a small business that produces uh, investigative documentaries, anti-corruption, anti-organized crime, and some frontline conflict reporting. And we produced a film uh, last summer, uh, sent a crew to the front line in Iraq. Uh, They embedded with an all-female infantry unit under Kurdish command that was fighting ISIS on the front line and just told their story. Um, Some of them had been escaped sex slaves who had been held by ISIS, uh, had been through unimaginable trauma, uh, and were now displaying uh, incredible heroism, uh, fighting uh, in an incredibly dangerous place. And, um, you know, that's what's been so rewarding about this work I've been doing the last few years, is has been exposing corruption and telling powerful stories about people who have been through things that uh, a lot of folks can't imagine. And... I want to try to bring that same perspective to representation, to bring uh, voice to the voiceless and uh, make sure that marginalized folks and um, the most vulnerable people are being represented, uh, as well as those who already have you know, the access that they need to, uh, to make their voices heard. John, uh, your slogan, or one of your slogans, is, is Make Trump Furious, or that's been a slogan attributed to you. And by the way, mission accomplished. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it's you or not, but I think, yeah. I think you've done it. I think he's angry. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, a, a night over at the Mar-a-Lago, a Friday, tends to make him furious. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> um, so up. we asked people uh, what to ask you uh, before you came on, and a lot of uh, people said, you know, ask them what the Democratic message should be beyond Trump is bad and I'm against him, right? Like, what's the, what should the positive message for Democrats be? Well, I'm talking about accountability uh, for everybody in Washington. And 
with a background in anti-corruption investigations. Uh, I'm reaching out to folks um, uh, across the political spectrum, making the case that I will uh, stand up against waste, fraud, abuse, corruption, foreign interference, uh, not as a partisan issue, um, but as a matter of public interest. And one of the things I've been talking about is standing up a dedicated investigative unit in my congressional office whose sole purpose is to identify and expose um, corruption or the abuse of power in the federal government. And I think, you know, when it sounds comes like to they may be busy. Say that again? Sounds like they might be busy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's 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 need for greater attention to congressional oversight. It's not always the most glorious work for members of Congress, but um, it's important. And when it comes to Mr. Trump, um, you know, the message that I've been taking across the district is not a partisan one, not about any particular campaign or candidate, but that his victory um, signals a real loss of faith in our institutions and in our political system. Uh, and that the, the answer is to repair our institutions by holding them accountable uh, and regaining the public trust. So your race has uh, gotten a lot of attention inside the district, but also outside of it. Um, uh, what, are you, what are you looking for in terms of help from people who see you winning as a way of saying that we're going to, you know, step by step sort of push back against Trump? And like, what can people do and, and what are you hoping they do? Well, it has sort of taken on a life of its own. Um, Welcome to the show, you know. A lot of uh, uh, national attention and folks um, fitting it into a pretty binary frame, uh, you know, as, as the first competitive race since the presidential election. Um, the, the, the most exciting thing is the intensity of the grassroots momentum here in Georgia. Uh, we've got more than 7,000 volunteers working on the campaign. If you go to any of our field offices in uh, Roswell, Chambly, or Marietta. Uh, on a weekend day, there's hundreds of folks knocking on doors, making phone calls, dozens of people every weekday. And um, look, I appreciate the outpouring of support uh, from folks everywhere. And it, um, it gives me a real boost. Uh, and it also encourages all the folks on the ground who are you know, spending four or five hours uh, of their weekend knocking on doors. I think it just speaks to um, locally and nationally a renewed engagement um, and a renewed sense of civic responsibility. Uh, folks are taking the future into their own hands, and it's an inspiring thing. One question about that. So you've never run for Congress before. Um, what have you learned? Like, what, what is the most, what, what do you find when you talk to people that you didn't expect? It's a great question. Um, well, I've learned a lot about myself in just these few weeks, and I've learned more about uh, this community where I grew up. Um, it is, you know, especially a special election, which is uh, more of a sprint than a marathon, packing all of this into uh, just a few months when you've normally got a year and a half to put together a campaign. Um, it's a challenge, and it's tiring, and there's a lot of pressure. Um, and, you know, I've grown a lot just in the last few weeks and few months, um, sort of stepping up and, and doing my best to make uh, my supporters proud and try to make the community proud. But I think what what I've really learned is just how much latent energy and will there is out there to do good. Um, and it's not motivated by partisanship. It's folks uh, here in uh, Metro Atlanta who are concerned um, that the country's headed in the wrong direction, that uh, core values are being abandoned. Uh, there's this deeply unsettling sensation that the sense of the country that we all share and the national character that we all believe in and the story that we all share um, is at risk of abandonment. And that's unsettling for folks uh, left, right, and center, I think. And um, seeing folks stand up and give their precious time to do something about it um, is really encouraging. John, there was a historic first in your campaign, which was the use of Uptown Girl in an attack ad. Uh, I see something like that, and I think that is a desperate, desperate opponent. But I'm wondering, what, what do you think of these guys using the fact that apparently you went to college uh, against you? Uh, and what are you hearing from voters in your district about national parties coming in and, and you putting this kind of crap on, on the Internet? And were you dreaming of cutting Medicaid while you were drinking from a keg <laughs> yeah, right. in college? Like Paul Ryan? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... For anyone who doubts that the race is winnable, um, the fact that uh, you know uh, a super PAC's already coming in with more than a million dollars hitting me uh, is a pretty good indication of how competitive the race is. Um, and you know, so far, I think it's been uh, uh, standard partisan fare. 
if anything, I think it's firing up uh, some of my supporters down here and galvanizing, uh, unifying uh, Democrats and independents who are um, turned off by more of the same garbage. Um, and, you know, it's a special election. Turnout is key. Uh, I don't think that um, uh, my opponents are going to turn out their voters uh, by attacking me personally, and they may want to reconsider their approach. It's almost as if some of these super PACs have been uh, living in their white bread world, uh, and now they're looking for a downtown man, and that's what you are. Well played, sir. <laughs> he's, he's, he spent a lot of time looking on his phone. I actually didn't hear your last response because I was Googling the lyrics. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering if you'd written that down ahead of time. Or... Hey, John, just a quick follow-up on that. If, if you're listening to Pot Save America right now and you don't live in your district, what can people do to support you? Well, if you go to electjohn.com, electjon.com, and click that big, beautiful volunteer button at the top right, uh, you can sign up to phone bank. You can sign up to uh, get involved, get updates, and I'd be honored to have your support. Should they give five bucks? Should everybody just give you five bucks? Why not give five bucks, right? Why not? Okay. And, uh, and the voter registration deadline's today, right, if you're in the district? That's right. And uh, if you go to my Facebook page, uh, look me up at John Ossoff. Uh, there is a link. Uh, made it as easy as possible for folks to... Uh, register if they haven't yet. And look, my team is telling me that if folks 18 to 34, if the millennial vote uh, doubles what's expected in a special election, that will win. And one of the most encouraging things is if you come out to our field office, there's a huge number of young people who have never engaged in the political process before who are uh, helping with this campaign. I think that uh, having a younger candidate on the ballot is um, encouraging some folks to come out and get interested. Uh, so, but, but these young folks need to make sure they're registered. And today's the last day, so get it done. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is how to turn this energy uh, that we've seen out there into votes. So, you know, we're pulling for you. We are. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck with the campaign. And hopefully we'll be uh, talking to you again when you're a congressman. It is an honor uh, anytime. Thank you for having me, and uh, thanks for bringing some attention to the race. Take care, John. Friend of Rod. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all the time we have here on Pod Save America today. Actually, no, we have plenty of time. We could have done three hours. There it is, guys. There is That's, the song. Guys, That's what Love It played when we were his entrance If music. you are not subscribed to Love It or Leave It right now, I don't even know what to say to you. Do you hear this song? I mean, this is still a work in progress, and it's already fantastic. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. See you later. Play us out, Love It. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs>